Welcome to the Well Technically Podcast. I'm Simon Lamb. A couple of weeks ago, I attended Microsoft Build 2016. And this podcast is going to drill into all the things of Build that I was super jazzed about. So we'll start with the highlights. And if I don't get too much hate mail, then we'll drill into some more detailed podcasts in the weeks to come. Enjoy. I'm on holidays in Queensland, and uh, although I love my kids, and my wife, and my sister-in-law, and my mother-in-law, I'm really excited after Build, and I just wanted to throw this podcast together uh, to give back to the guys at work uh, some of the things that I learned and uh, that I'm uh, that I'm excited about. The only thing to keep in mind is that I'm hiding up in a room to keep away from the screaming kids. And it's really hot, so I'll have to do this in stages so I don't melt. All right. So, basically, uh, I was just going to go through the keynote because there's some there's a whole lot of really exciting stuff that happened uh, during that. I basically took a whole lot of notes. And I'm just going to go through those notes because they're all the things that that, uh, that caught my attention. So, uh, I guess the first thing was, was Windows Hello in apps and websites. So... As part of the anniversary update, uh, so that's the that's the next update of Windows 10 coming soon. Um, there's a whole lot of additions, and and the first one which really caught my attention was was as I said, Windows Hello in apps and websites. So you can now uh, leverage uh, Windows Hello in, in your own in your own apps, and also even on a website. And they showed a demo of like a banking website that that uh, used the Windows Hello. Uh, log on to to uh, to authenticate, and this is really interesting because it means that you can now there's now a potential to get to that kind of one identity store in the sky being an, an Azure Active Directory, um, and then you can use multiple means of actually authenticating, so pin, uh, face, um, picture, all, all the all the things that are uh, that are available to you within within Windows Hello, so that one's uh, that one's really promising. Um, the next thing was was Ink Workspace. So they've gone crazy with the uh, with the kind of inking functionality within Windows Ten. So it used to be in, in the previous versions of Windows, you'd you'd press the little button on the on the Surface Pen, and up would pop the uh, the OneNote. Modern, uh, yeah, modern app or Windows Store app, which was cool. But if you preferred to use the OneNote desktop app or um, or anything else, uh, it it wasn't uh, it wasn't much chop. So uh, in in the new in the anniversary update, this Ink Workspace is a new feature where when you press the button on say the Surface Pen, a little a little kind of start bar look looking thing over on, on the pops up from the system tray and it gives you a whole lot of options. So it shows your recently used inking apps um, 
and a whole lot of other features. It was it was it was pretty cool. So um yeah that that one was also pretty exciting. The along with that the the ability to uh to draw with with the with the pen and also uh the addition of stencils and rulers. So they have this kind of virtual ruler that you can you can bring up on the uh, on the screen and it, and it looks like a normal ruler. It looks so it looks crazy like a plastic plastic ruler. And you bring it up on the screen and and then the, the pen will actually snap to it virtually. Well, it looks so real. It was really cool. But it allowed you to now to now draw perfectly straight lines. And there was the potential for stencils. So you can, you can draw all sorts of custom shapes and with the ability to snap to the edges of it. Um, so what else? There was a, Along, I guess, in addition to that, there was a there's a whole lot of stuff for um for for maps. So in the the maps that kind of tied into the to the use of, of inking because you could now show a map and you could draw a custom a custom uh, route from yeah you know, from the obviously the, the source to a destination on, on a map, and then throughout the map you could you could actually draw billboards. So they're like little notes to allow the person who's navigating on the map, uh, you know, to notify them of some kind of information around that point on the, on the route. Um, so, and the cool thing was, was when they actually even showed the, uh, the rotation of it in a 3D model, the actual, the actual billboards rotated with the rotation of the map, which was, which was really, really cool. Okay. So what else? Um, they also announced some pretty big growth in the uh, the Windows Store, and as part of that, and the and the, the push on uh, the uni- Universal Windows platform, they announced uh, a Facebook, a Facebook Messenger, and an Instagram uh, UWP app that will be coming uh, very very soon. I had a quick look around, and I can't actually see it on the store yet, so. It, uh, it must be coming soon, and in fact, there's a there's a beta program for for Facebook for Windows 10. I'll chuck the link to uh to that Facebook beta in the show notes. But uh, along with that, there's also uh, the promise of a an advertising SDK to allow you to leverage the Facebook advertising functionality within your own apps. So uh, looking forward to that as well, as well as uh, on the on the actual day of build. Uh, the the Visual Studio 2015 update two was announced, and um, and I hear we're already requiring that back at work, with some issues with that with VSTS and builds automatically flicking back to Git or something. So uh, we've already had to install update two if you want to go and play around with build definitions in in VSTS. Um, beyond that, uh, there's also the the anniversary update. Uh, SDK preview was all also announced at the same time. The next um, announcement that got a got a crazy response from the crowd, obviously a lot of uh, web developers in the house, was the uh, was the addition of the Bash uh, shell into Windows 10. And although a few people were poo-pooing this because it potentially it was using some kind of virtualization. Technology, they'd be incorrect, and um, and Microsoft working with Canonical, 
another company has actually mapped the Bash shell to all the underlying Windows APIs, which means that it's natively working, which is uh, which is really cool. And it even has all the uh, the Bash tools like apt-get to allow you to just go and download any tool. And they did a demonstration where they where they went and grabbed Emacs and uh, and they showed the functionality within the shell. It works, you know, works normally. They would go and edit a file using using Emacs. It was uh, it was pretty cool. Um, so you could potentially use the Bash shell to uh, to fully interact with your computer. Uh, I hear that the the integration between the uh, say Bash and then going to a native PowerShell uh, shell doesn't actually exist. So I have to do some further research on that, but uh, but yeah, look, the it's really exciting, and obviously people really were really uh, were really into this this announcement because it got a real uh, reception. Now the next announcement, um, since I'm an Android guy, uh, it was uh, it was really uh, it was really interesting. So the the Action Center in the cloud they're calling it. So basically. It would allow us to have notifications on multiple pla- multiple platforms, and when you receive a notification uh, and you dismiss it, it will dismiss across multiple platforms. So at the moment, I think the platforms were were Windows, Windows Phone, and Android, which was pretty exciting. Um, now, uh, the, that also uh, led into the announcement of the, uh, notifications. Uh, from Android um, to Windows 10, which is uh, which is really cool because it means that uh, there was some initial implementations where, say, you could receive a, a text message and natively uh, in Windows you'd be able to reply to that text message and uh, send it back on Android. So, and as part of this, I've been reading a lot of blog posts where where people were suggesting that. Uh, if you didn't want Continuum, then uh, it's really tempting uh, to, to go with a uh, to go with an Android phone if they're if they're kind of bringing that those ecosystems together. So uh, I'd uh, keep an eye on the uh, how this one pans out. Now the next few topics kind of centered around the the bridges. Now I've been watching the the bridges for a while now, the Centennial Bridge and the and the Westminster Bridge, uh, but now they're now the, the the first one they had a look at was the, the hosted web apps. So this was otherwise known as the Westminster Bridge, and and basically it allowed you to to wrap an apex around a website. So you can you can just take any website and uh, and basically uh, take take that take the website and, and turn it into a Windows Store app. So uh, and it, and that has some real implement, impl- implications. For uh, for how you do deployments, so so any changes you make to the website or automatically uh, deploy down to the app because it's just pointing at the website. Um, but also within the JavaScript on on the website, you've got access to the uh, the Windows Store API, so you can so you can interact with things like the camera or uh, or other hardware devices on the actual computer, like your a like your own native Windows Store app. Um, so it also allows you to get that website and have a presence in the Windows Store, um, which is a uh, which is really which is really cool. Um, 
along along with that, they they then started talking about the 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 desktop uh, the desktop app converter. So this is to do with the the bridge was called the Centennial Bridge, and basically allows you to take old school Win32 apps and uh, and convert them to uh, to new modern Windows Store apps. Now this has some limitations, like um, the the apps that are once they're converted will still be running will be running in a user under a user context. So if you've got apps that are say running as a Windows service and are kind of like a, a singleton style app, like you can only have one of them running on the box, then this probably won't work for you. But it still has some real significant implications and some significant opportunities for people with with old school. Uh, Win32 apps to, to now be able to deploy using the Windows Store, um, to have the, the security uh, of the Windows Store, to be able to leverage, um, like, say, toast notifications and a, a whole lot of things that, that you traditionally couldn't get in a Windows 32 app but could get in a new style Windows Store app. Now, there's a couple of ways of creating these, uh, these new uh, Windows Store apps from, uh, from existing Win32 applications. The first was uh, was going using the desktop app converter. So this would basically create a, a Docker container and then run your installer within that container, looking at any kind of file IO or registry access that it did as part of the installer. So then it could package that as part of a, an AppX installer and, and reproduce that um, when you go and install the converted app. The other way was to use, uh, if, if you use Wix to go and create uh, your MSI, you can basically, uh, you can go and generate the Apex using Wix now instead of a traditional MSI. I think the, the next cab off the rank was probably heading into the world of the Cortana Intelligence Suite. Um, and this started with, with I guess, the... The, the latest Cortana integration that you could that you could put into your UWP apps. So basically, what that kind of entailed was to allow you to say launch a foreground app with with voice commands, and it can uh, specify targets and specify parameters that you'd pass within to the app. Um, you could launch background apps with 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 voice commands as well. You could interact with a background app. Um, that's already running and most importantly you can deep link into a background app so you can pass all sorts of information in so that you can actually um, jump to a specific place within the app rather than uh, just just launching it and then having to have the user navigate to where they wanted to go Um, and there's all sorts of uh, uh, natural language voice commands that can be um, that can be extended so that you can basically say the app's name anywhere in the command rather than launch app name, for example. The next thing I was intrigued about was um, was Cortana for uh, other uh, mobile operating systems. So I tried it once before, but I didn't really love it. Um, and that was Cortana running on Android. So uh, I thought I'd have another crack, particularly since apparently the Cortana app for Android is a key part of what you'll require to work with notifications that, I've, that I talked about earlier. Um, so, yeah, I've chucked it back on my, my Android phone, and, and it's actually pretty cool. Like, 
I'd even hazard to say that the um, the voice recognition is probably better than Google now. Um, obviously, needs a little bit more testing, but uh, but so far, um, yeah, loving it. Now, in the keynote, they kind of talked about the uh, the, the Cortana intelligence suite being three main things, being the, the bot framework, uh, the cognitive APIs, and machine learning. But if you go and look at CortanaIntelligence.com, it's actually a lot bigger than that. And, and if you go and like, look at the intelligence suite and how they describe it, it's, you know, it's those Cortana integration pieces we just talked about. It's the bot framework. It's the cognitive APIs, Power BI, and it's dashboard and visualizations, uh, machine learning, HD Insight, stream analytics, yeah, um, SQL data warehouses, big data repositories, and a, and a whole lot of like event hub and data orchestration uh, features. So I'm not sure if I'm quite clear on what the Cortana Intelligence Suite is. It's, it seems like a collection of a whole lot of tools which um, which uh, which are all useful within their own right. I'm trying to figure out how it all fits together. So I guess that's um, that understanding is to come. I guess a key part of that uh, of that suite was the bot framework. And so they were able to do a, um, a pretty cool demonstration where um, they were using bots in line within Skype, but, um, you know, the bot framework's not specific to Skype. It's, it's basically any kind of text based communication medium, whether that's Skype, Slack, Office 365 mail, or it just, they actually even showed a demo where all the communication was done through standard text messaging. So a request and reply based interaction, uh, where, where the bot was purely on an, uh, on a traditional SMS platform. Now, some of the cool examples where, where bots were being used um, started with more service-based models where the bot was um, providing some kind of information back to the consumer of said service. Um, some of the demonstrations that, uh, that I saw was were, were Bing search bots, Bing news bots, um, the caption bot. That was really cool because it could summarize it you could basically upload an image to it and it would it would summarize the image and provide some kind of caption describing that image and then a summarized website bot that uh you could point it at a web page it would read the web page and try and understand it and give you some kind of a summary of that web page so it's these kind of functions that we we start to see the teaming up of bots and the cognitive APIs. So I'll, I'll throw a, an L to the, to the cognitive services in the show notes. Um, but if you played with Project Oxford um, or like the How Old Am I demos or, or Twins, you probably would have seen these services which, is, which have now been rebranded into the cognitive APIs. So some of the cognitive APIs, uh, like the Emotion API, which would... Could, basically from text to detect um, whether you're happy or sad. So you can use it in kind of surveys. Um, the face API for uh, identifying faces. Um, computer vision API, which was uh, for 
distilling information from uh, from just any image. Um, there's speech API for converting speech to text and and, and back again. Um, like the the language understanding and intelligence service. So that's Lewis. So it's teaching your apps to understand commands from users. And, and on top of that, the, the second example shown was um was like brokered conversations. So that's when that the when the bot would actually go and speak to another human or speak even to another bot to perform some kind of activity. So that so someone sent you a message asking you to uh to have a meeting at ten o'clock, the bot could then receive that, understand it, ask you whether or not you wanted to have that meeting at ten o'clock, you could then respond and it would res- respond to the to to the other human that asked you the question. Or if it detected that uh you are uh, you're in a city uh, due to your scheduling, it could it could then go and speak to a bot at a at a nearby hotel and um, and reserve your room or speak to a, a car hire company and, and rent you a car. Um, the possibilities were uh, were were really amazing. So that that was really cool to see. In fact, it was just it was just really awesome to see these um these bots and the cognitive APIs coming together to provide a heaps more natural interaction with a computer um, that's based on understanding rather than just, just straight-up automation. And there's even the possibility of determining when the bot couldn't understand what was going on. So that gave you the opportunity to, to possibly escalate to a human in scenarios where, where, where the bot was having trouble um, understanding the human interacting with it. Now let's change tack a bit. So, I guess the big, the big wow moment for me uh, was that Xamarin was now going to be included uh, in your Visual Studio license. So, for people who were perhaps trying to decide with to go with you know, React or Cordova or go with Xamarin, this I would assume changes the the landscapes uh, substantially. So. We've done a whole lot of uh, work back at uh, at Fred uh, using using Xamarin, but um, but the price was always I, I thought was a limiting factor. So, if you're going to have to decide whether to you know to do your next project in in Cordova or and and have to learn web skills or continue on now with Xamarin, this made things a hell of a lot easier. And I guess the 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 license. Went all the way from from ultimate all the way back down to to the community edition. So that's uh, so that's uh, really neat as well. Uh, I actually spoke to a mate at, at Xamarin, and uh, and he alluded to the fact that if you'd purchased uh, a Xamarin license in the last uh, three months, then they would potentially refund it. And we're going to look at doing something special for the for the people who had purchased it private, uh, prior to that. Well, next up, let's talk about Azure Functions. Now, a little while back, uh, Amazon, AWS, did the same kind of thing, and they called them uh, a Lambda Functions. But basically what they are uh, is a, a small piece of logic that you're going to put up in the uh, put up in the cloud and execute it based upon certain events, such as a... a someone hitting an endpoint or a scheduler 
But there's a pretty low cost of entry because you don't need to write them in Visual Studio. You don't need to be deploy them up using MS Deploy. You just use the portal and you can either write in C Sharp or Node uh, and uh, and test them within within the uh, the web portal as well as pr- having some kind of some level of auditing and and monitoring ability. So look, that they, they were pretty cool because if you just want to do some kind of web job. Um, with with a low barrier, uh, you know, to to get the getting them up and running, um, they're a fantastic way just to just yeah just to move those move those functions into Azure, and you're not paying for a uh, for a for a virtual machine, or you're not paying for a website. You're just paying for compute. And if you go and check the Azure function of the website, which I'll throw in the show notes, um, you'll notice that the first million calls are free. So, like, I'm not even going to touch that. So, I'm, I'm really excited to have a play with these. We're hitting the home stretch now. But uh, the, the, uh, the next kind of GA announcement was in regards to Service Fabric. Now, I'm not going to admit to knowing heaps about Service Fabric. I mean, I've been listening to a hell of a lot of podcasts about it for, like, the last year. I know that, well, this, it suggested that um, a lot of Azure, the actual framework is built upon Service Fabric. And um, when people talk about service fabric, it's talking about a, a way to, to make all your microservices in a way that, um, that you don't have to write the code for dealing with issues such as reliability, scalability, latency, um, and, and deployment. It, the framework gives you, a, uh, gives you a structure and a way to do this without having to write it yourself. Um, so... A, a, a service fabric environment it would it would allow you to do to do like auto scaling has like self healing facilities um, integrated health monitoring so I'm going to be looking into this this uh, intently in the yeah in the next few months but uh, but right now it's it's hit GA and um, and they showed a fantastic demo with the game uh, Age of Ascent uh, which was which is almost like which is almost like an actor frame, an actor pattern, but it was a, it was a whole lot of um, different entities flying around in, in spaceships, and and it showed how you could you could up upgrade a individual entity without taking the game down. So it was a pretty amazing demo, and I encourage you to go out and have a look for that. I'll um I'll throw the video in the show notes as well, and I'll wrap up with some reporting slash bi slash database related announcements particularly for the guys uh, in the architecture team back at my company um, who would definitely be interested in this stuff. Um, look, they're probably all already all over it. But the um, there were some, initially some announcements re- related to DocumentDB, which I know we're heavily investing in at the moment. Um, the first one was the, the ability to have geo-redundant DocumentDBs. So uh, for that kind of extra level of, uh, of redundancy you could um, spread the the document DB around multiple fault tolerant uh, data centers which was which was cool uh, the next big one was the MongoDB drivers so now the document DB can fully interact with a MongoDB client so that means that any uh, any clients or any app or applications or solutions that were built against MongoDB you can now potentially throw them straight against uh, document DB and, and have the same kind of outcome. 
But the final one, which really made me sit at my chair, was the announcement of Power BI Embedded. Now, what this seemed to be was a um, was a an embedded solution where you can now run Power BI inside any of your own applications. But the interesting part was that it's based on a based on a service which you only pay for what you use. So, and uh, and in fact, you don't even have to authenticate. Uh, with a with a Power BI account to use it, so you, you the the your actual application handles handles the the authentication and receives app tokens, which can then be used to request data. So the users using your application don't even have to have Power BI accounts. Now I have to drill into this in the in the yeah, in the coming coming weeks and and seeing how that relates to our to our current requirements. For, for authenticating what data they see. Uh, but And I spoke to one of the guys at the Power BI, uh, asked the experts uh, stand, and he said that it currently doesn't work with if you're using uh, like tabular cubes at the back of your, your Power BI, which we do use, and that's currently not supported. As a lot of our kind of authentication and security challenges are related to those tabular cubes and the fact that uh, we need to authenticate against a local domain. I'll be really, really uh, intrigued to see whether using of these app tokens and this kind of abstraction of the user away from Power BI will uh, give us some solution in the future to be able to do this in a, in a simpler way. Um, well, but actually, that's probably about it. Um, if you've stuck through to the end of this, um, I applaud you. It was actually a lot harder than I thought to do a solo podcast without anyone else to uh, to kind of bounce off. So um, yeah, look, I appreciate you you sticking it out. Um, yeah, if if everyone wants me to continue, I'll uh, we'll, we'll do some new podcasts soon. We'll uh, I'll leave it up to you. Thanks so much.